Welcome, welcome, welcome in. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you here on a Wednesday. Coming up on the show today, the college football playoff agrees to their future model of scheduling. Plus, IU coach Mike Woodson lives in an alternate reality. Justin Fields, Buzz heating up on a trade to this particular team. In hour number two, how Notre Dame benefits. Yes, how they benefit. And I'm sure Justin will will disagree with me on this one. How the Irish benefit from the new college football playoff model. Plus, Ellie De La Cruz already making headlines in spring training. And Tyler Smith will join us uh, around 8.35. He covers IU for IndieSportsLegends.com, TheHoosier.com, the Crawfordsville Journal Review. We'll talk to him. He had an interesting uh, column about IU basketball titled for Indiana basketball, it shouldn't be this hard. We'll kind of get his opinion on the season and the ups and downs that it has brought for Hoosiers fans. Plus, before we leave you, uh, a horse escapes and had quite the stroll in Philadelphia. Hmm. So that's that's we'll all to come today. We'll have to see where the horse went. Yeah. He was uh, not horsing around. Ah, ha. I uh, see what you did there. Uh, yeah. All right, no more, no more, yeah, too early for that. Too early for your dad joke. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, good morning, Justin. Good morning. How are we on this Wednesday? Uh, You know, a little tired this morning. Yeah. Be all right, we'll power through. We will, we will power through as we do every day. You can fake the energy, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll fake it. I certainly can. Yeah, we'll we'll (laughs) fake it, fake it till we make it, right? Yeah, that's what we do every day. (laughs) Still faking it here. Yes. They're almost two years of this thing. Yeah, still very much making it. <laughs> uh, don't forget, you can always listen to us on the stream at 1380thefan.com uh, via the 1380thefan app on your phone. That's free to listen and free to download. And, of course, also on your smart speaker as well. Text slide available to you at 46862. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. All right, let's dive into headlines this morning. We start off... In the NFL, and this is, I mean, more than just an NFL story, it's a a national story, but Missouri prosecutors uh, said yesterday that two adults have been charged with murder in last week's mass shooting that killed one person, injured 22 others near the end of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. Lyndall Mays of Raytown, Missouri, and Dominic Miller of Kansas City, Missouri, both charged with second-degree murder, two counts of armed criminal action, and unlawful use of a weapon. Now... Remember, initially, they thought it was juveniles or in some sort of gunfight. Uh, that was kind of the initial reporting, but these are two adults. They're each held on a $1 million bond. And it started, apparently, because uh, one of them wondered what the other one was looking at. They were looking at them. <laughs> Just like stupidity. Yeah. Like the simplest form of testosterone-driven insanity. And, and this quote... Just unbelievable to me. Uh, one of them who was arrested, Lindo Mays, told detectives that he, quote, hesitated shooting because he knew there were kids there. <laughs> hesitated, but still did it. Yeah. But apparently, yeah, yeah they began arguing about why they were staring at each other. Just, uh, I think the human race is pretty intelligent. It's really not. <laughs> not not when we see things like this. <laughs> really where. Not. They're, they were well aware of the dangers of the situation, let alone, you know, shooting a gun, mind yeah. you, at another person, but still did it anyway, because, well, you know, what are you looking at? A couple of idiots that hopefully will be spending a lot of time in jail. Absolutely. Uh, so we move on. 
And one of the best NFL players you've probably never heard of is retiring. New England Patriots great Matthew Slater retired from the NFL after 16 seasons. He was one of the best special teams players probably in the history of the NFL. Uh, 10 Pro Bowl appearances um, known for being a, a, a gunner on kickoffs and putt returns. Son of Pro Football Hall of Famer Jackie Slater. Um, you kind of now you wonder like who's going to hire him as a special teams coach if he's going to be interested because I would think there'd be a lot of interested parties. One of the top gunners of all time in terms of guys heading down the field and and mixing it up on uh, on kickoffs and punts. So it's a phenomenal career that you know if if you're not really familiar with special teams and and the top players on special teams wouldn't even know who Matthew Slater is, but. It's it's uh, it already begins the debate of if you're the best or one of the best all time at the position you play, you should probably be in the Hall of Fame. Took a couple of years for Devin Hester to get in there. Does Matthew Slater have a shot down? Well, the line? and that's the next question. I mean, ten Pro Bowl selections, right? I mean, that's just absurd for someone in his position. And he was so dominant. I mean, if if you knew anything about special teams in the NFL, you'd probably heard his name. But for the average person, you probably never heard of him. But he was he was a dominant player for his role, it's just not something that is going to have a lot of stats, right, that you can compare to other players. Yeah, exactly. But a uh, big loss for the Patriots and a great career for Matthew Slater. Absolutely. We move on to college basketball. Number one goes down. UConn, after being the unanimous number one for the first time this season in the AP poll, got absolutely shellacked by Creighton last night on the road, 85-66. to 66. And for the Huskies, uh, they've now lost 21 straight on the road against ranked opponents. It goes back to a 2014 win against Memphis when they were in the AAC. That's just insanity. Yeah. I mean, not we're not talking top 10 opponents. No. Top eight, like we're just ranked opponents. They've lost 21 straight road games, too. Just uh, pretty insane. But uh, Creighton, congratulations to them. First ever win over a number one ranked team. And the second worst loss for them as a number one ranked team for the Huskies. So mm. there you go. It goes uh, both ways. But uh, Creighton got off to a fast start. They led by, what, double digits at halftime. Mm. And you thought, well, maybe UConn can put together something in the second half. Well, Creighton just added to that lead in what ended up being a 19-point dub. 14-28 from three for the Blue Jays. Obviously, that's that's going to get it done. Um, that counters when they were 6 of 26 from 3 in their 14-point loss at UConn last month. So you have UConn and, and Marquette that happened over the weekend, and UConn with a dominant win, right, over then number 4 Marquette, and then now the Huskies lose. So again, yes, we have three, maybe four teams we expect to get one seeds, but none of them feel like they're unbeatable, that's for sure, going into March. So who's number one next week? Do you think Houston goes back to number one? Yeah, if they keep winning, probably. I mean, those three teams are just kind of like trading spots. Yeah, they're, they're all the A, B, and C. Yeah. And basically. have been pretty much the entire season. So that's the expectation, unless Houston loses. But uh, yeah, I would think Houston goes back to number one next year or next week. Notre Dame has announced that they will participate in the new college football franchise. This is uh, something they'd kind of debated about before. But they will participate on the uh, EA Sports College Football Video Game Series 
um, citing continued support of student athletes and NIL. So there was a question, but they were in the kind of the yeah, they uh, were in the teaser, the teaser. Video, yeah, I so I don't know why trailer. this is why this is news yesterday because I got a I, I saw it on social media. I even got a alert from ESPN. Like, well, they were already in the tr- in the the teaser trailer, so of course they're going to be in it. I don't know. It just seemed like weird that they had to get it confirmed yesterday. And uh, also Notre Dame landing another commitment, this time a 6'7", 290-pound offensive tackle, Matty Augustine from Connecticut, beating out Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin. 17th commitment for the 2025 class, third offensive lineman, a three-star prospect. These linemen that they're getting are massive. <laughs> massive dudes. They just, I think, had a, a 6'8 guy commit like a week ago. You know, Notre Dame continues to be the number one ranked class in the class of 2025. That's not going to last. Um, Notre Dame is getting a lot of commitments early, but not a lot of elite guys. Um, you know how much I hate star chasing, but football means a little bit more. And let's see, now 11 of the 17 commitments for Notre Dame are three-star guys. Um, I know they're loading up and everybody's excited about the number one class. This is barely a top 10 class when it's all said and done right now. No five stars, no real impact guys. Uh, you can say Ivan Taylor, uh, the safety commitment is is a top prospect. But uh, Deuce Knight, the quarterback, a lot of people are excited about. But in terms of star power in this 17-man group, there's not a lot of it for Notre Dame. So I know people are kind of touting Notre Dame in terms of being the number one class right now. Uh, it's, it's, it, at least on paper, it, it's barely a top 15 class, at least at this point in terms of star power. Now, we've seen the, the last several years, right, where they've had the number one class through the summer and then it shifts. Uh, I will say this, though. They are getting a lot of needs like an offensive line and offensive linemen can develop and be elite prospects. And yeah, there's no of, school better at developing yeah. offensive linemen. Well, and three stars can be four stars by the time things are done. Four stars can be five stars. I'm just saying in terms of, of it's not like Notre Dame is loading up on the elite of the elite in this class, at least not yet. And we'll see. I mean, with Michigan winning the title, that kind of changed the narrative on recruiting and, and sh- shifted it, at least for them, from you know star power. Yes, they had it, like at quarterback, right? But star power to development, and that's what Notre Dame's trying to do. And they have kind of the same setup as far as a team and the model winning in the trenches Right, they have an elite defense, so we'll see how it plays out with this upcoming season. But the recruiting, yeah, it's it's not at an elite level, despite the number one at the moment. Well, unfortunately for Notre Dame, with the new format, you now have to win double the amount of playoff games to win a national title. So Michigan was able to do it and win two games. Notre Dame, because of the absurd approach in which they won't have a first round bye ever. Uh, we'll have to win four games in the college football playoff to win a national title. This is a program that can, hasn't doesn't even have a major bowl victory in 30 years. And now they're going to have to win four playoff games to win a national title. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, we will debate that setup and that format okay. coming up uh, at top of hour number two. Bring it. <laughs> I know you're, you'll be fired up on this. Stupid. Um, Snyder football coach Kurt Tippman named the North team coach for the 58th annual North South Bureau Shrine football all-star game. It'll be held at Decatur Central on July 12th. 
Also, Bluffton assistant Todd Morgan will be on the North team coaching staff. Roster is set to be announced in March. Those accolades continue to come for Coach Tip off a state championship season. And uh, no surprise. I mean, it was just a, it was a great season for Snyder, um, and it's nice to see him get another honor for uh, the success of this team. 46862, again, your text line number 46862. We dive into our final headline of the morning, and that is the college football playoff agreeing to set up the 5 plus 7 model. Here's how it works. The five highest-ranked conference champions will uh, be selected. Um, four of those will get a buy in the first round. Uh, plus, you have the next seven highest-ranked teams. So the top four get the first round buy. Uh, five through eight seeds host on-campus games against you know, 9, 10, 11, 12. Then you have the New Year's Six Bowls as the quarterfinals and semifinals, and then obviously a national championship game site uh, with the uh, site for next year, Atlanta for 2025. So this is how this will work. Now, Washington State and Oregon State retain their seat on the college football playoff advisory board. They will get power five payouts this year and next year. (laughs) What a good deal for them. Oh, man. The saga continues for Oregon State and Washington State. God love them. They're trying to hold together the Pac-12, maybe add some team. I just don't see it happen. They just don't have the power to add a bunch of teams. I don't see the Mountain West falling apart for people to go and play the in the Pac-12 with Oregon State and Washington State. Just don't see it. Uh, but we do know at least this format still makes the conference championships games very important in terms of at least if you have one team in the running for a bye because that's what that's going to be about in terms of securing that bye for one of the power in each of the power four conferences. We did learn yesterday that the committee, yes, will still rank the teams and that will then fill the field. Four automatic, or excuse me, five automatic bids, the four power four conference champions, and then the highest ranked group of five teams. So so is that a lock that it's the AAC pretty much every year? I wouldn't say that. I mean, it could be the the Mountain West. There could be a team in the Mountain West that does that. Um, So... I wouldn't be surprised there. And then basically the next seven highest ranked teams in the college football playoff rankings. So it's, it it won't be arbitrary in terms of Notre Dame's the 13 C or rank number 13. They get an invite. It will be based on rankings. Now they are meeting today to map out the college football playoff for 2026 and beyond the big 10 and sec, of course, want more money. And that's going to be, Leading the discussions. Oh, everybody wants more money, which uh, usually how it goes. We'll see if all of this can get figured out. Uh, I imagine it will, and we'll have our uh, our college football playoff set for the foreseeable future. We shall see uh, what comes out of that meeting today. Coming up on the other side, IU coach Mike Woodson lives in an alternate reality. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. If you're an IU fan, I'm sure you'll have thoughts on this upcoming segment. Uh, Make sure you put in CK before your message because Mike Woodson seems to live in an alternate reality. Now, he did say yesterday, 
I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. And we all know why, because he has 4.2 million reasons as to why. And that drew a lot of headlines yesterday. Understandably so, but again, it's not like he's ever hinted at retiring. That's not been part of what he's said. Nothing has, has led to an inkling of that. The only people maybe wishing for that are disgruntled IU fans. That's actually not what we're going to talk about here. The, the alternate reality that he is living in has to deal with recruiting and where the team stands at point guard at the moment. Now, what he had to say yesterday, he says uh, he admitted that the deal was that everyone thought Jalen hood Shafino, of course, now playing in the NBA for the Los Angeles Lakers, would not be a one-and-done. He says when hood Shafino turned pro, they desperately tried to find another point guard. Obviously, they did not do so. Um, okay, first off, his timeline on all of this is laughable because going into preseason camp, not this past season, but the season before, there were rumblings that Jalen hood Shafino was a one-and-done player, right? That was kind of the, the chatter that, oh, this guy could be a one-and-done. And we're all kind of surprised because IU generally doesn't recruit those kind of players. Um, but that was the buzz. Right. And and he was even showing up on mock draft boards as a potential, you know, first round pick going into last season. Yep. It's it's not debatable. Um yeah, now, to, be, to be blindsided by something yeah, like that you, is you, just absurd. Yeah, you, you can't be blindsided by this. And and here's the thing. Um so you had Xavier Johnson and Jalen Hood Shafino on that team, right? Then uh saying they tried to get another point guard. Uh, when Jalen Huchifino turned pro? Well, yeah, they, they tried, but remember, they had a point guard coming in. So what does that say about Gabe Cups? Right. What does that say exactly. when they already had another point guard coming in the season and it's Gabe Cups? Obviously, Xavier Johnson coming back for a sixth season was, you know, that was up to a medical clearance. So they had Gabe Cups. It was a TBA on Xavier Johnson. And then they tried to get another point guard. And yes, they did try to get other players in the portal. Um, you look at Dalton Connect, who's had an All-American season at Tennessee. Now he's not a point guard, but he's had an outstanding season. Nick Timberlake, uh, now at Kansas. Uh, Caleb Love was mentioned. I don't think that was ever really going anywhere because he initially chose Michigan. Uh, didn't get accepted there due to academic standards and went on to Arizona. But it almost feels like he has this revisionist history here with what actually happened. Jalen Huchifino was a potential one and done from the get-go the moment he stepped foot on campus. Mike Woodson denying that reality is an interesting narrative for him to try to spin. It's not like we're sitting here and talking about a player that, let's say a Gabe Cups, for example, or a CJ Gunn that that somehow went pro when nobody was expecting it. Jalen Huchifino came in to Indiana as a borderline five-star prospect. And you can imagine that five-star prospects have an eye on the NBA as soon as possible. And Jalen hood Shafino, after one really good season with Indiana, named the freshman of the year, third-team All-Big Ten, uh, started 32 games, that he was going... And here's the thing is like you had all of last season in the season to at least recognize that, hey, I should probably go find a point guard because the way JHS is playing, he has a very good chance of going to the NBA. And then sure enough, what happened? 
And, and the full quote is even more confusing than what I read you uh, earlier. He, he said, when I recruited Gabe, as in Gabe Cups, the deal was, yeah, the deal. What I, deal? I, yeah, what deal? Uh, everyone thought Jalen wouldn't be a one and done. That was the whole deal. Who's Wilson everyone? Said. You? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like literally everyone thought that uh, Jalen Hood Shafino coming in, he was showing up on first round mock drafts in October of that season. Uh, Woodson went on to say you had X as an Xavier Johnson. You knew Gabe would come in to be a third point guard behind two veteran guys with Jalen being a sophomore. When we knew Jalen was leaving, leaving, we desperately tried to find a backup point guard. So, in a roundabout way, he's blaming Xavier Johnson. But here's the thing: like, if Xavier Johnson, you know, getting his injury and then that thrusting Jalen Hutchfino into the starting lineup for the bulk of of that season last year, if that's the reason, at Okay, that, that's what happens when guys get injured. And then it almost seems like he's blaming it again on Xavier Johnson for coming back a sixth year. Well, then if if, if, if you didn't back, let him come back a sixth year, you would have found that point guard. Plain and simple maybe, in the portal. Maybe. Because maybe. there would have been an open starting spot. Here's the thing with Jalen hood Shafino. Um, NBA Draft.net had him as a first round selection prior to his freshman year at Indiana. He was voted by big 10 media as the preseason freshman of the year in the league. And then he ended up winning it. The expectations were there. It wasn't like Jalen hood. Chifino came out of nowhere and exceeded these expectations last year. He was a top 20 prospect per rivals. He was a top 25 prospect for two, four, seven and ESPN. Like, to think that there was no chance that Jalen Shafino was going pro after one year is just absolutely absurd. This was not like Notre Dame and Blake Wesley a couple years ago where he had just an outstanding freshman season and, and played himself into being a one-and-done player for the Irish. This is not that. Uh, and now he's in the NBA. This is a guy who was viewed as a five-star prospect who played on Montverde, right, uh, with Malik Renew, who was highly thought of. Everyone said, this guy is a, a great player, could be a potential one-and-done guy. No one was saying that he was off the radar in terms of the draft. The only person saying this, apparently, is Mike Woodson because he has some other alternate reality that he's living in that this, the, the truth to him was that, well, he wasn't supposed to go pro. Well... I guess that's what happens when you get injured and you recruit good players who, who develop under you. <laughs> One of the few guys that you, you can chalk up to developing under Mike Woodson is Jalen hood Shafino. Well, and he's, I mean, he's in a way like denying his own coaching job there. Well, that's the thing. And this is another issue with hiring a career NBA guy. In the NBA, you, you have one guy that you're relying on that's going to run the offense. There are no, there are no Lucas out there. Uh, that you can you can you can't have two Lucas on a team or two Steph Curry's or um, was it Gilgius Alexander with with uh, with Oklahoma City uh, Shea Gilgius Alexander yes. or a, a a Damian Lillard in terms of top point guards there's only one of those guys right on team but college it's all about recruiting redundancy you don't just have one point guard you got to make sure you have another point guard that you trust that can run the offense you can't just have one top shooting guard you have to have the multiple guys and this is once again i think the archaic pro thinking of mike woodson going we'll be fine we have jalen hood coming back and he's a point guard 
It's like that's not how it should work or it, how it does work in the in college basketball. You have to recruit at redundancies. You need to have at least two guys at every position that can play the position well. And Mike Woodson was like, eh, we have the Steph Curry of point guards. We don't need anybody else. And then when that player leaves, then you're left with nothing. It's just puzzling that he's continuing. It seems like every time he's opening his mouth, he's either saying something controversial that's rallying up the fan base or something that's patently false like this. There's absolutely no truth to what he's he's trying to say here. There was no deal, right? Was that like an internal deal he had with his head? Because know. you're not making some sort of deal with a player uh, to say, hey, if you're really good and have the chance to go first round the NBA, sorry, you have to come back a second yeah. year. Like, who's going to do that? No Gifino is like his, his goal, as the goal of most top prospects, is to get to the NBA as soon as possible. And he had that opportunity. Don't blame him. Um, just pretty wild. Pretty, pr- pretty absurd. I mean, it's just, and and the, the, in, the inability for Mike Woodson to just say three words. I screwed up. Or it's my fault. Like, yeah. There's always excuses. Well, and again, remember, we spent all last spring and even early fall, IU had that open scholarship. And they did nothing with it. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they tried, right? There were guys on the radar. I, I mentioned a few, Dalton Connect, Nick Timberlake, Caleb Love. I think there was one other guy uh, that his name escapes me, who's having, of course, also a good season. But, there, but, but that's the problem is Mike Woodson was going after these top tier guys. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to take a mid to upper level type player and I'm going to develop it. Well, was, some of them were it was great. all or nothing. Some were great players on mid majors, right, but, but they it was were all getting or nothing. It yeah, was top program looks. It was uh, we have to find somebody that's going to immediately come in and produce. It wasn't, hey, we're going to take maybe a lesser player than one of these top players because we couldn't land those. But I have confidence in our ability to develop that player. No, because the player development doesn't happen in Bloomington. The other player was Chris Ledlam that I was trying to think of, who also went to Tennessee. Now he was a he was a forward not a guard, but those were some of the guys on the radar. They had a handful of guys that these guys took visits to Indiana. They were on the radar and IU was unable to land any of them. And then just going through this season with that open scholarship and the fact that they have had issues at guard between play and injuries is the biggest indictment on Mike Woodson as a basketball head coach. Even if yes, it's exactly right because you had the it, there. There are a plethora of point guards out there. At least try, try to bring somebody in and develop them. But it just seems like it, it, Mike Woodson's approach is: if I can't land my top targets at a position, then I'm just going to pass on it because I, I think he has zero confidence in his ability to develop talent. He are he has to recruit top tier talent. It's not bringing in three star guys and developing developing them at Indiana. It's getting the four and five star guys and apparently praying that they stay for multiple seasons. Yeah. And as far as recruiting in the future, there's one guy committed and the other top target, apparently staying home and going to Maryland and Derek queen. That's kind of the, the rumor at the moment, but for, for Mike Woodson, I mean, IU has an NIL war chest of money, find a way, get a guard in, in, he just didn't address that in the off season. And I, I get it. People are going to say, well, you had Xavier Johnson 
and Gabe Cups and then Ja'Kai Newton getting hurt really hurt them. Yes, it's all true. And Xavier Johnson has been injury plagued the last two seasons. Maybe the fact that you have a six-year point guard who had already suffered a, a, a serious injury before should give you pause that right. maybe you should bolster that group. Maybe you should yeah reinforce that group. But, but Mike Woodson's incapable of identifying talent and then developing that talent. He has to find the elite of the elite. And even then, can't win enough. Uh, a couple texts rolling in. Someone saying, Ledlam went to St. John's, so he apparently initially committed to Tennessee. Um, someone else, once Woodson is gone, the IU job won't be desirable since they haven't been relevant and their fan base is delusional. Well, it's it's getting more and more like that. It's It's relevant in the sense that they have the NIL money they can throw around. But beyond that... Yeah, but it's like, what's that gaining you? It's, yeah, it's not there's, working. There's no problem with the talent at Indiana. It's the execution and the coaching. It's so, my thing. It's uh, you know, Chris Ledlam, he's kind of like a combo guard. Like He can play some forward, but he plays some guard too. So, I mean, he can play the one, the two, the three uh, for St. John's. You can even put him in a, at the four at a pinch. So, um, he's a... Uh, definitely a balanced basketball player, but and Dalton connect. Yeah. He's not a pure point guard, but this is one of the best players in college basketball this season. Who's played himself into being a potential lottery pick. We all know Caleb love is a controversial player, but when he is on, he is one of the best players in the game. Um, they, they targeted people. Like, it's not like they didn't try, but what I don't understand is you just sat on a scholarship for no reason. And just the, the mind-boggling quotes from Mike Woodson to justify this, that, and the other, as opposed to just be like, you know what, I, I, I mismanaged this thing, and uh, I screwed up, and I need to learn from the mistakes and do better this offseason, and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, just admit you screwed up. Instead but of- isn't that the ultimate problem, though, with all the quotes, right? It's always, you know, it's- some player's fault. Like, he, he blamed Malik Renew. He said Malik was awful, uh, talking about the loss over the weekend uh, for Indiana on Sunday. That said, he was, but it's it's deflecting for Mike Woodson. It's never his fault. Where is the the personal ownership? Yes. Where's the accountability for Mike Woodson? Because it's seemingly everybody else's fault, or this deal fell through for Jalen Hood-Shafino, or we tried but couldn't land a player in the portal. It's it's all deflecting. It's never Mike Woodson's fault. In Indiana. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. And I think why, uh, yes, Indiana is not going to make a change unless there's some sort of crazy controversy or he resigns. But I, not I don't think that's happening. Like I said, over 4.2 million reasons as to why he's not making a change in Indiana. For as much as they want to be you know, a, a top contender in college basketball, other top programs aren't putting up with this. No, they're not. I think maybe the worst thing for Indiana could have been making the tournament last year because they didn't do anything in the tournament, but it also kind of bought Mike Woodson uh, some time. So this year is kind of, well, they don't make the tournament, but last year they made the tournament, even though they didn't do anything. Uh, So Indiana's just kind of stuck. And the the absurdity of them giving more money to Mike Woodson after back-to-back years of making the tournament, big deal. I mean, no one was competing to try to steal him away. Uh, no, now nobody's competing, unfortunately, to want to take him off the hands of of the Indiana Hoosiers. You're just kind of stuck with what you have. 
for the foreseeable future with Mike Woodson. You just hope he would at least take some accountability, take some blame for what's going on, but it just seems like he's incapable of doing that or trying to explain himself out of the issue. Well, here's why we don't have another point guard is this, that, and the other. It's like, why don't you just say you just screwed up? Own up. Own it. And that's what we have not gotten from Mike Woodson. One other text I want to get to at 46862. IU is still a very desirable job for everyone that's not already at a desirable job. Top five NIL, top 10 salary. Yes, but for whatever the reason is, this is a program that it just seems very hard to win at, which doesn't make sense considering those factors. Top five NIL, top 10 salary, great fan base, great facilities. Everything is there for you to win. This is funny because uh, I found a text, um, and this is uh, with a mock draft from Bleacher Report last October before Indiana had played a single game. And this is from Bleacher Report saying, um, let's see, uh, Jalen Huchifino, he could build an NBA case around playmaking IQ in a 6'6", 215-pound frame built to drive through contact. His three-point shooting may take longer, though he'll flash more scoring potential by separating into mid-range jumpers and using floaters. He is projected as the 26th pick by the LA Clippers last October. And yet, Mike Woodson had zero idea that he was going to potentially go pro. Come on. It's just getting harder and harder to even you know, take anything he says seriously. Yeah, uh, it's pretty... Pretty, pretty, pretty crazy, Um, but it goes along with the territory for sure. Coming up on the other side, could the Bears have their trade partner? Buzz picking up for one particular team that I think uh, would make a lot of people happy in the Justin Fields sweepstakes. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Wednesday. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you. 46862, as always, how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862 just put in CK before your message. So the the offseason buzz for quite some time could possibly turn into reality for Justin Fields. The buzz has been there for Fields to go to Atlanta. Of course, he's from Gainesville, Georgia, outside Atlanta. And Fields could command a late first round pick, according to uh, the latest report on the situation. So Fields to the Falcons picking up buzz. Now, that said, Kirk Cousins to me is the better quarterback available. And you could argue, you know, do you go with stability and a a higher floor or a higher ceiling? Uh, The Falcons are a a team. They have Kyle Pitts. And then I guess their best receiver is what Drake London. Like there's not a lot of talent there. No, but for the Bears, Pitts has not lived up to the expectations either. No, so there's not a lot of talent to throw to. This is a yes, you have Bijan Robinson, but beyond that, there's just not a lot of lot, uh, not a lot of talent there at these skill positions for Atlanta. So I don't know how that necessarily is a good fit for Fields because it's essentially a downgrade in terms of the roster. Right. Also, is Justin Fields really an upgrade over Desmond no. Ritter? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I don't know if Atlanta is looking at it and, oh, we can get back to the days of Michael Vick in terms of the skill set for Justin Fields, but the Bears would be over the moon if they could convince a team to give up a first-round pick for Justin Fields. And that that's the biggest right. story in all of this, right? If he truly does command a late first-round pick, um, his value is a lot more than I think 
we think it is and probably even the Bears front office uh, would expect to receive in return. Well, that's the importance of the quarterback position and the allure of Justin Fields and thinking that, yes, will be the team to tap into that potential and take him to the next level, which I highly doubt. People will say, well, the Bears can't develop quarterbacks. While that is true, give me a list of quarterbacks that have uh, flamed out in Chicago and gone elsewhere to have success in the past 20 years because that list is small, very small. And so... I don't feel like Justin Fields is any different than that. He's going to make some wild plays. He's going to be on SportsCenter. You're going to see some some clips on him on social media of, of things that he does that no other quarterback in the league can do. But that doesn't make him a great quarterback, let alone an elite quarterback. Just make and, and by and large, for the majority of his career, Michael Vick wasn't a great quarterback. He had a couple great seasons. He had great plays. But he wasn't a great quarterback in the NFL. And so I just kind of see that being the same way with with Justin Fields. I mean, there was only one year for Michael Vick, 2000, and this is even one it wasn't with Atlanta. No. Where he had significantly more touchdown passes than interceptions. And it was 2010 with Philly. And that was his... Season where he was a an MVP candidate. Yes. I mean, it was, it had the outstanding performance on Monday Night Football. Um, that was his his best season, and it didn't come with Atlanta. Didn't even come with Atlanta. So, this is best case scenario for the Chicago Bears because they're going to keep the one. They're going to keep the nine. Or so, so they have they have the one. They're going to take Caleb Williams more often than not, uh, or more likely than not. We'll see what they do with the nine, but if they can trade Justin Fields for a one, that will give them three first-round picks in this upcoming draft. And for a team that has a lot of good young talent and put three first-rounders there, and if Caleb Williams can get be anywhere close to his potential, the Chicago Bears could be a sneaky pick in a couple of years to win the North. And for Atlanta, yeah, trading for Justin Fields is going to sell you a lot of merchandise, a lot of jerseys. And create some some preseason buzz for a franchise that, quite honestly, has been pretty lifeless the last handful of years. Seems like they're seven and ten every year now, but it's not going to win you football games. He's not a quarterback that's going to go out there and lead you to the postseason. No, Plain and simple, not. he's a dude that has proven that he can't win a lot of games. He can't make the plays late in games to put you over the hump. He's an exciting player. He can be a dynamic player. He can put butts in the seats, but he's not winning you significantly more games than a, a, a Desmond Ritter, in my opinion. But this is best case scenario for the Chicago Bears is if they can get a team to bite on a first round pick. And I think the Bears, they look at what happened with New York with Daniel Jones, a middling, mediocre quarterback that showed some flashes, but by and large was like, eh. And the Giants gave him a four-year, $160 million contract last offseason. And what did Daniel Jones do this past season for the Giants? Not much. I mean, they benched him at least once. And it's a bad deal for the New York Jets. The Chicago Bears are looking at that deal and saying, the New York Giants kind of took a leap on a guy that hadn't shown it. And look what happened. Daniel Jones threw two touchdowns and six interceptions this year. Um, 
it wasn't good. And I think the Bears will have learned from that. And if Atlanta wants to oblige, then the Bears are perfectly happy. Text rolling in at 46862. Does Atlanta own a late first round pick? No, they do not uh, because they stink. Uh, they own the eighth <laughs> overall pick, which is one spot above the Bears' second first round pick in this draft. But you're not getting the eight, of course, for Justin Fields. No. So could it be a conditional two that turns into a one if Atlanta makes the playoffs? That I could see. But the Bears, remember, traded their second round pick this year for Montez Sweat, a, a trade that worked out very well for Chicago. So I think they would be over the moon if they could trade Justin Fields and get a series of picks of which the highest would be a two and effectively replace that second round pick. And then if the if, if Atlanta is picking uh, in the top 10 of the second round, the Bears effectively have three picks in the top 40, which would be really, really good. And um, you know, yeah, the, the Bears have trouble uh, developing uh, quarterbacks. I get it, but they draft pretty well. Uh, you look at their secondary and it's... M- Mostly homegrown with young dudes. And Jalen Johnson's about to get a huge payday from Chicago. And he's earned it. And he was a draft pick. Darnell Wright, the first round pick last year, looks like a dude that can be a a starter up front for seven or eight years. Uh, Tyreek Stevenson in his first year at corner last year really showcased well. Uh, You go at Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker in the second round, both standout players. Uh, Braxton Jones, the offensive lineman they took in the fifth round, is going to be a starter for the next five or six years for Chicago. So while they haven't hit on quarterback forever, the Bears draft pretty good. And Cole Komet, several years ago, the second round pick, that's the same draft they got Jalen Johnson in. Um, Tevin Jenkins in the second round of the 2021 draft. He's a dude that is going to start for the next six, seven years in Chicago. So they draft well. It just draft can't, can't draft quarterbacks, but we'll see what the Chicago Bears are able to do. And the more teams that are interested in Justin Fields, the better. You have to think with Jimmy G being released in, in Vegas, you have to think the Raiders are thinking Justin yeah. Fields, right? Yeah, why not? I mean, if, ba- if uh, Baker Mayfield comes back to Tampa, but if for some reason he doesn't, throw Tampa in that mix, New England, we've talked about Pittsburgh, there's going to be teams interested in Justin Fields. And... The Bears are just going to sit back and watch people basically make offers and take the best one. Several texts pouring into 46862. Uh, first one, Falcons have Drake London and Kyle Pitts and Bajan Robinson. They are stacked with skill talent and the worst quarterback situation outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh is a mess at quarterback. Um, you could say Washington is a mess at quarterback. Uh, Sam Howell's obviously not the long-term answer there. Um, Atlanta... I mean, they're they're all in that same boat. Someone else saying, uh, long shot here, but do you guys think Justin Fields would perform better in an indoor stadium as the home field versus a frigid and freezing Chicago and Green Bay every season? And then someone else piggybacking off of that, one of the reasons why I didn't work in Chicago for Justin Fields before he was drafted, he said he didn't want to go to a cold-weather team. Yeah. I, I don't know. If you can't play in cold weather, what play- makes you think you're – Good enough. He in, went to in Ohio dome. State. It's yeah. cold in Columbus, yeah. guys. I, 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 I mean, guess come that's, on. <laughs> that's where I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy that excuse. Um, and this is the thing. For the majority of the of the football season, it's pretty warm, okay? Like, you're starting in September. You're lucky by the time you get in November, you start mixing in some really cold games. You play maybe a couple really 
frigid, frigid games a year. That's just an excuse. And, you and, really want a player that you're like, ah. I mean, look at look at uh, look at Lamar Jackson. He can't win in the cold. I mean, so do you want an, another player like that? <laughs> but guys, he went to Ohio State. I never buy the <laughs> cold weather argument because Tom Brady was a California kid who played at Michigan and had so much success in New England. Aaron Rodgers, uh, who played at Cal, went to Green Bay, had a lot of success, right? I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I think that factor is overblown. Uh, Brett Favre was from Mississippi and yeah. played for Green Guys, Bay. Guys, the reason, uh, Justin Fields, the reason why, he, it's it's not the cold, it's not the talent around him, okay? It's not the system. The reason why Justin Fields isn't very good is because he's not a good quarterback. He's a good runner. He's not a good quarterback. It's not the system. It's not the personnel around him. It's not the temperature. It's not if he's playing outside. The reason why is because he's not a good quarterback. Period. But everybody, not everybody, some people just love to find excuses for Justin Fields. He does not need your excuses. He's not a winner in the NFL. Period. In the in the fact, the, the part that is frustrating to me is that there is enough of a sample size. I could buy it after, you know, two seasons. That third season, that pivotal season that would prove whether he had a future as a Chicago Bear or not, he didn't do enough to to retain that job. He's, Plain and simple. He has started 32 games in the NFL. That's double the, the more than double the college starts of Mitch Trubisky. Nearly triple. He's not good. He is not a good quarterback. Just because you have a highlight reel that's very impressive doesn't make you a good quarterback, people. I mean, I could go out and 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 in in a perfect world hit six straight three pointers. I'd probably have to shoot a lot, but I would at some point maybe. But it doesn't make me a good basketball player. It's just you guys are just so obsessed with seeing highlight reels of Justin Fields and think that makes him a good quarterback, and it doesn't. It just makes him a good runner. A text coming in at four six eight six two. Is it at all surprising that the Bears are keeping their head coach leading into this decision on the next franchise quarterback? Historically, quarterbacks continue to flutter under defensive-minded head coaches. Look at the quarterbacks this year, for example. Well, to counter that, you have C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans in Houston. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's plenty of uh, quote-unquote defensive well, I, head coaches. I do that agree it, that offensive-minded head coaches are the trend for success in the NFL. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all that is being presented. I do think Matt Eberflus and showed enough progress with that Bears team and particularly that defense last year to get another year. I mean, last year was a cluster, two years ago rather, for the Bears in his first season. And then they showed progress in year two. I, I get what the text are saying, but you know, I think that's why you bring in Shane Waldron, uh, a guy that had a lot of success in Seattle as your new offensive coordinator. And then you, you kind of have him lead and, and direct your new quarterback, but um, I, I don't necessarily think Matt Eberflus should be fired after two years in Chicago. I just uh, kind of don't, especially after the progress the Chicago Bears made last year. But you know what held them back last year? <clears throat> quarterback. <laughs> the most important position in the NFL. Coming up on the other side, Notre Dame benefits. Yes, they benefit from the new college football playoff. Get out of model. here. We'll debate it next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 
Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This hour on the show, Notre Dame benefits from the new college football playoff model. We'll get to that shortly. I'm sure Justin will disagree. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz already making headlines in spring training. And we'll be joined by Tyler Smith uh, after 830, uh, a writer covering IU for multiple outlets, including the Hoosier.com. Interesting story uh, that he had on Indiana basketball uh, titled for Indiana basketball. It shouldn't be this hard and kind of a, a column that really sums up everything that's gone wrong for the Hoosiers this season. Plus, before we leave you, a horse escapes and had quite the joyride in Philadelphia. We'll give you the details on that one after 8.50 this hour of the show. 46862, as always, how you reach us on the text line, 46862. Put in CK before your question, comment, or rant. Also, you can stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380thefan app, free to download or on your smart speaker. And as always, if you missed something in hour number one, or even want to catch up on previous episodes or can't catch all of this hour, you can always catch up. Via the podcast, just look for it each and every day around 10, 30, 11 o'clock on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. So the new college football playoff model is set. As we detailed in the first hour, it is a five plus seven model. The five highest ranked conference champs plus the next seven highest ranked teams. Now, the top four conference champions receive a first round by games. On campus for the first round will be the home team seeds five through eight hosting a campus game. You have the New Year's six uh, bowl games, bringing up the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And of course, a separate site for the championship game. It'll be Atlanta for 2025. All right. So that's that's the the current model. And for Notre Dame. They have no conference championship game, uh, so they cannot be in those top four seats. They will not get a first round by now if they're ranked Five through eight, they'll get that on-campus home game and not be on the road if they make the college football playoff. So, for the Irish, this uh, actually helps them for a multitude of reasons. First off, you have the chance for an on-campus home game if you're ranked five through eight. So, that just means more money, right? I'm sure the football program and the athletic department and the school all love the option for that uh, to make some extra income. You don't have a conference championship game to play, so you don't have that risk of losing it and being knocked out of the top 12. Then, with this new model being the 5 plus 7 over the previous 6 plus 6, which was the 6 power, you know, the power 5 plus yeah, 1, five plus and then one. 6 at large, you now have 7 at large. So, for Notre Dame, that just means another spot where they can get in. So, the, the way I look at this is Notre Dame is actually benefiting more from this model. I understand people are going to say, well, they haven't won a major bowl game in 30 years. And yeah, they have to me. play an extra game. But here's the thing. Like, you're avoiding the conference championship game. So you're but, already avoiding. But they've done that forever. Yeah. It's nothing new. And it's benefiting them with this model. It's not been made untenable. Uh, the, previously, it actually hurt them. I Did think it? more than it helped them. No, I could disagree. I think it, it depends on the year, of course. But they couldn't play their way in. But here's the thing. They couldn't play their way out either. But now, like, this is a spot where I think this helps them out. And there's no chance an 11-win Notre Dame team, let alone probably a 10-win team, misses the college football playoff to begin with. Well, there's still scenarios where going into college football playoff or college football championship 
week that Notre Dame is number 11 and could get bounced out of a couple teams winning in the conference championship game. So that's that doesn't go out the window because of the new format. Um, but it's still a, a panel of humans picking the teams. Yes. Um, I just feel like for Notre Dame is that it does it's a national brand i mean they're going to get in more often than not with the top 12 now as opposed to the top four but does it change my opinion that notre dame is any closer to winning a national championship no in fact i think this puts them even further away from a national championship i think the i would argue that the expansion of the college football playoff makes it while it may be "quote unquote" easier for Notre Dame to get in, makes it more difficult to win a national championship because, of course, you have to win more games, but you also don't have a home game. And quite frankly, Notre Dame hasn't been consistent enough against elite opponents to make me think that they can go into a twelve-team playoff and win multiple games against really good teams. So, I know there's a lot of excitement around the college football playoff expansion. You and I both are excited in terms of the landscape of college football as a whole. But I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, I think you look at this as this now makes it much more difficult for Notre Dame to win a national title. It went from not having to win any playoff games and just basically win your bowl game and get voted as the number one team in the country and win a national championship to then winning a BCS national championship game where you have the top two teams play to now a to then a four team playoff to now a 12-team playoff. It is becoming more and more difficult to win a national championship, and the fact that Notre Dame hasn't since college football went to a playoff format of any kind, including BCS, further proves the point. But the access point is easier than ever for them to to play for one. Now, I guess that's, that's... No, not play for... I mean, I'm talking about getting to the national championship game is much more difficult. I mean, just because you're expanding it doesn't give... It's kind of like what, what this is the problem because you look at college basketball and the metric that coaches and programs look at is making the NCAA tournament. Look at Indiana. Oh, we made the NCAA tournament back to back. Who cares? There's 68 teams in there. Now it's kind of like you're going to have these 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 teams like Notre Dame and you can say, hey, look, we made the college football play. Like, so what? 12 teams make the playoff. You should you you should be a top 10 team most every year. So I know the access point is easier. I don't. I wouldn't say though. It's that th- those are not equivalent. Making the NCAA tournament one of sixty-eight is way different than being one of twelve no, in no, college no. football. I agree. I'm just saying what programs say and 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 coaches is like. Hey, give me job security. I made the NCAA tournament. Yes. And now I think you're going to say, Hey, give me job security. I made the college football playoff. If you're Notre Dame, it should be a given that you make the playoff three out of four every three out of four years. Yes. And that doesn't necessarily equate to being more competitive in terms of on the national scene. It just means they expanded it. But I think the way this model works, I get that people are upset about the the no first round buy, but again, they're not having to play a conference championship game. There's an extra at-large spot. You can host a home game. It, there are so many benefits for Notre Dame, but they haven't made it an untenable situation for the Irish to have to make a change, a.k.a. join a conference. Which is very interesting because we've talked about the, the need for Notre Dame to join a conference. And what we've seen with Notre Dame is that they value their independence more than putting their program in the best 
position to compete for a national championship. Because that's effectively what it is. You are sacrificing a first-round buy to protect your independence. And I think that, to me, is, is I think you're going to have people fall on either side of the coin. What's more important if you're a Notre Dame fan? Independence or ease of access in competing for a national championship? Because Notre Dame has chosen independence. Instead of, you know what, we join a conference and there's a chance we can be a top four seed and get a bye and all that that entails, blah, blah, blah. But no, we value that independence more. And at least on my side, I think that's a mistake. I think, though, as long as the system makes it where they can retain their independence like they have right now and still have an access point that is not jumping through hoops, which I think this is still not jumping through hoops, they'll continue to do it. And their their TV extension with NBC proves that they're in a spot where they didn't have to make a drastic change. Now, when that contract expires, and I think it's around the same time as the, the Big Ten and the SEC deals expiring, everyone will reevaluate. I think it's very... Uh, it, I'm not saying it's the wrong decision, but Notre Dame, I think, owes it... Does it owe it to the football program to put it in the maximum position it possibly can to compete for national titles? Because if that's the case, they're not. Because the better chance of competing for a national title is being in a league. So they've chosen independence over the best opportunity to compete for a national title. I do think moving forward, Notre Dame is going to have to change how they schedule. They're going to have to schedule tougher. Their schedule this upcoming season is not very strong. And I get these schedules are set years in advance, but that... ACC partnership, I don't think is going to be much of a help moving forward. And when you have other top teams, if if there is a team that goes undefeated this upcoming season from the Big Ten or SEC, I mean, they're going to be head and shoulders above everyone else because of how tough those schedules are now. How difficult does it become in, in future years as these leagues become more and more powerful, particularly the Big Ten and the SEC, to schedule big games? Big Ten doesn't owe Notre Dame anything. No. The SEC doesn't owe Notre Dame anything. So as these leagues expand and grow more powerful and look out for each other, how much more difficult does it for does it become for Notre Dame to schedule? And that is the one way that would force Notre Dame to yeah. join a conference, I right? I could see at some point the, in the next... The TV contract with the extension with NBC did not force Notre Dame to have to make a move financially. Right. But scheduling, that could be the, the next... Thing that causes a problem. Especially if the ACC loses Florida State Clemson. Yes. Because you're locked into six ACC games, but if the ACC is a paper tiger, which it kind of borderline is right now, and just becomes uh, a nothing in terms of power teams in college football, then that those six guaranteed games mean nothing. And if that combined with the Big Ten and SEC, if they came out and said, you know what, after the th- week three, week four, we're not allowing our teams to play non-conference games. It's all league games. Uh, text coming in for clarity on the schedule uh, at 46862. CK, uh, when was that first playoff game to be played? What week of what month? So the schedule for 2024, for the 25 playoff, so later this year, the first round, there will be one that's a Friday night game on December 20th, and then three other of the on-campus games on that Saturday. It's a, a triple header with early afternoon, late afternoon and evening kickoff. So what? Probably like a noon, three thirty, and eight. 
If, or yeah. like a one. No, I think it'll be a noon. It'll be a noon, a four thirty, and an eight. That sounds yeah. about right. So that's how that will work with the on campus. So basically, sites. the first round, December twentieth and twenty first. Yes, and then the quarterfinals, thirty first uh, and first. Yeah, which will be then bowl games, and then you continue to go from there. So, and this is the interesting thing: is you're going to go from a week to crown a national champion in the four team playoff to a month. Yes, because the first round starts December twentieth, and the national championship game in Atlanta will not be till January twentieth. Now, the part that's really confusing is you'll have, I mean, you'll have, you'll have the, the first round games on campus on a, a Friday, Saturday, one Friday night game, the rest on Saturday. Then you'll have December 31st, you'll have a game. And then the first, you'll have three games. Makes sense, right? How they're spreading out. But then you have a Thursday, Friday. Well, you're trying not set to set up for against... the semifinals because you want to avoid the first the wild card weekend for the NFL playoffs. Yeah, which I totally get. I totally understand. So that that's that's part of the danger too in in doing this. And if you're a football fan, that's just more football. We all love more football, but you're not going up against the NFL. No, and you're not winning against the no. NFL in that matter either. Coming up on the other side, Ellie De La Cruz already making headlines in spring training. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Have a drumstick and your brain starts kicking. Yes. Do you uh, watch X-Files with no lights on? Um, I have before. <laughs> yes, I have. Spooky. Spooky. <laughs> Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Batch, Justin Kenny with you. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. So spring training underway. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they're making headlines because Ellie De La Cruz is doing absurd things per usual. Uh, so they were taking part in batting practice in Arizona. And Ellie De La Cruz smashed a foul ball off pitcher Hunter Green, so his teammate. And it just so happened to hit the <laughs> rear window of Green's luxury SUV in the parking lot. Whoops. Yeah. Effectively shattered the the window. Uh, luckily, it wasn't the windshield. It looked yeah. like it was the passenger side door or the driver's side door, but uh, did a number on it. Yeah. So, uh, And the best part is uh, Green told him, you're paying for it. And Ellie responded, you make more than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because both- Hunter Green got that extension for, for yes. six years and $53 million. Uh, Ellie made just 720k last yeah, season. He's just making peanuts compared to everybody else. But uh, no, it's um, interesting, uh, interesting sequence because they actually have the video of the foul ball too. Um, so pretty interesting. Um, that was actually Hunter uh, yelling from across the field too. That he was, he goes, "You're paying for that." <laughs> he yelled at him. So uh, pretty amusing, but. We'll see if that LA was Day before Le- he knew, right, that it was his car. Yes, yes, and then he found out <laughs> after that it was his car. So, um, Ellie De La Cruz, I mean, came into the league last year, dynamic player, of course, and and really took the 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 MLB world by storm mid season, but really tailed off as the season went on. Just finished hitting two thirty five. His OBP was three hundred. Those metrics have to go up, and you expect. You know, the first year and the rigors of of the league, of Major League Baseball season and a guy just being 21 years old last year when he was in the league as needing to um, get a full season under his belt. So 
when you look at Ellie De La Cruz and as exciting as he is and dynamic as he is and, and Major League Baseball would like nothing more than to have a superstar in a small market for sure, is Ellie De La, Ellie De La Cruz has a ways to go before he reaches that status. And he is one of a number of Cincinnati Reds that have promise. And if they all develop and have a season that they did last year and more so, when you look between Spencer Steer and um, if they get Nuevo Marte to to emerge their rookie this year, Matt McClain, um, and their pitching staff, then they can be a sleeper in what is a wide-open NL Central. You can make a case for the Reds. You can make a case for the Cubs. You can make a case for the Brewers. You can make a case for St. Louis being better than they were last year. <laughs> isn't that nice to say out loud? Yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> for us as Reds fans. Uh, I mean, they they improved their rotation, but I think the average age is like 51 years old in their <laughs> rotation. At least it feels like it. So it is definitely a wide open division. And Cincinnati, from what they did last year and finishing a, just a game out of the playoffs, uh, have a lot of promise. But uh, Ellie De La Cruz is going to be one of the, the linchpins for that. And the Reds hope that the excitement that Ellie De La Cruz brings, it can be over the course of an entire season. Yes, and that, that's the thing. He is he was electric last season, but it was in spurts, and they need that to be more consistent over the cross of uh, across of 162 games, right? He played in 98 games last season, so they need him to be an everyday kind of player. And I get it, they brought him on late last year, but he moved up, and he has all the skills. They just need him to, to turn into a, a dominant player player and no Joey Votto moving forward. So uh, it's a new look Reds team and we'll see what happens, but at least fascinating storyline early here in spring training with uh, hitting a foul ball that just so happened to hit a teammate's car. And the fact that he hit it off Hunter green makes it all the better. Yeah. Because the top pitcher on the red staff. Yes. Which was uh pretty, 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 pretty amusing. So, uh, we'll see how it turns out for the Reds and everybody in spring training as spring training ramps up. And I think games even start this weekend in terms Hard of spring believe. training games. So baseball will be here before we know it. And we say, well, it's a sign of warmer weather. Well, yeah, but for the first month plus, at least in the Midwest, you're playing in some really, really cold temperatures. So enjoy Arizona and Florida while you can, MLB teams. Absolutely. Coming up on the other side, Tyler Smith. Uh, covers IU basketball for multiple outlets, including IndieSportsLegends.com, TheHoosier.com, and the Crawfordsville Journal Review. Uh, will talk to us about his column for Indiana basketball. It shouldn't be this hard. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you can always listen to us on the stream at 1380thefan.com via the 1380thefan mobile app. That's free for you to download in your app store or on your smart speaker as well, also for free. Joining us now on the guest line, it is Tyler Smith, who covers IU basketball for outlets including thehoosier.com, indiesportslegends.com, and the Crawfordsville Journal Review. Good morning, Tyler. Thanks for coming on the show with us. Good morning. How's it going? Going well, going well. And you had an interesting column yesterday on thehoosier.com talking about IU basketball titled for Indiana basketball, it shouldn't be this hard. And a lot of the things you hit on in this piece, I think kind of speaks to how IU fans kind of have felt about this season. And just the, the simple fact that going into the season, the expectation was to get to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, you could debate with other fans on, on expectations, but that was the 
clear expectation with this group after turning over some key offensive pieces. Uh, why has it been such a struggle? What has been the biggest factor with this team and not being able to get to that uh, path, at least so far? Well, I think it's been a combination of things. You know, there's been uh, pretty poor guard play, like inconsistent guard play. Um, I don't think the system helps very much in terms of getting them looks from three. They still have some good, some good bigs and some good, uh, you know, sets to get in the post. But to me, that should open up the three-point line even more. If you got these, you know, Kelly Ware, Malik Renew, you got these guys down low that can score, that should open up the outside even more. And it just hasn't happened. Um, but I also think I've said this before. You know, I think there's there's been too many eggs in the Xavier Johnson basket. You know, not to knock on him too much, but the fact that he's he's really struggled um, with some injuries over the course of the last couple of years, and so for them to not dip into the portal. I know they tried, but for them to fail to get some more guards and you're putting so much weight on Xavier Johnson um, and the fact that he's missed some games, he's had some issues, um, that, that's really tough. It's hard to build chemistry. It's hard to build like a flow on the court. Um, they've even got an open scholarship that they didn't use. It's just going to waste. So number of issues, you know, they, they had a pretty solid season last year, but I know you lose a lot, but I think that's not, it's a poor excuse um, that I've seen a lot of fans make because this is the landscape of college basketball now. You've got to be able to rebuild your team every single year, and, and you've never had an easier path to do that because of the portal and because of NIL money. Um, so just a, a number of things, that just hasn't worked. When you look at what lies ahead for this team, and I'm not talking about this season, but when you look at next season and the guys that, yeah, you could bring back a, a, a bulk of guys and guys could leave, but I guess when you look at this and if, if this is the majority of the roster or where do you make moves and you mentioned the portal, it's easier to bring guys in. You just have a single commitment. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm asking, can this be a significantly better basketball team next year? Because people were saying, well, the majority of this team is back. And I'm like, well, is that a good thing or not? Yeah, it's really hard this time of year to kind of forecast what's ahead. I mean, there, there's so much roster turnover for so many programs. I could see a scenario where this roster only returns maybe six or so players, and I could see the rest moving on. Um, you know, I, I don't want to mention names because it's kind of like you're not really sure with what you're hearing how much truth there is to it at this point here in February. But my concern is last year after Indiana lost in the second round to Miami, uh, the coaching staff acknowledged, you know, we've got to get more shooters, we've got to get more athletes and more guards. And so they, they saw what the problem was. Um, they saw what wins in March, and they still failed to go out and get it. So I don't have a ton of trust that they're going to be able to go out and get it. They do have an absolute stud freshman coming, and Liam McNeely, a five-star, looks to be you know the real deal. Uh, amazing shooter, one of the best shooters in the nation. Hopefully, um, you know I, I doubt a guy like Malik Renew would move on. I think he would stay, um, which would be huge to have you know that one-two punch. Um, there's some seniors that have to decide if they want to come back um, for a, you know that that COVID year or not. We haven't heard from them yet. And then the you know big ones, Kelly Ware. You know, right now he's, he's kind of slipped in the NBA draft rankings to around a late first round pick. So not entirely sure uh, if he'll go pro or stay. But they've got to dip into the portal and go after guards. They've got to hit on several. It can't just be one or two guys. Um, but you know, it's, it's not one of those situations where fans should automatically assume it's going to be a bad team next year. There's a lot that can happen in a couple months. So I would say 
have me back on in you know this May, and we'll talk about uh, expectations. But I think the path is there, um, but I can also absolutely see the concern as well from fans. Tyler Smith joins us talking IU basketball, covers it for uh, multiple outlets, including the Hoosier.com, where he uh, posted a column for Indiana basketball. It shouldn't be this hard. And, you know, for all the talk of the portal and NIL, in a way, though, is that access point for Indiana um, lead to even more unfair expectations because you can just throw money at talented players in the portal or at recruits and they can come in, but you're maybe not getting guys that fit uh, what the coaching staff wants to do? Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, I mean that I've written some about that as well, that how many guys have we seen walk into Assembly Hall this year that are like three-star recruits or, or no-star recruits, and they torch Indiana, and it's like, man, where do these find these guys that can absolutely play the game and they can shoot and they can move the ball, they, they have good team chemistry, what's it going to take for Indiana to find the right mix of guys? Because they should be able to get some of the high-ranked guys, and they've been able to. I mean, this current team, I believe, has three guys that were five stars out of high school, a couple more that are four stars, and then several threes. So the talent is there. It's just not been the right mix. So can they find the right mix? Um, that's, that's something that's it's a tall task. Um, and I think, uh, you know, this team, obviously, they, they really miss Trace Jackson Davis, and Right now, unfortunately, it kind of looks like he was the, the glue keeping it all together. Of course, they had Hood Shafino as well at point guard. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's finding the right mix. But surely this time around, they realize that not only McNeely, but they got to get multiple other shooters because shooting is the great separator in the game today. If you can shoot, it covers up a, a multitude of other mistakes. Does Indiana as a whole, Tyler, have a problem with star chasing as opposed to the right fit of player? I could see that for a little bit because I, I think last year, even in the portal, they were really going after a couple guys that they, they failed to land. There's a freshman uh, next year that uh, chose Kentucky. Um, Indiana was a second choice. So, I mean, they're, they're shooting big, and Mike Woodson acknowledged that you know he's not going to um, take a back seat. He's going to try to to go for those guys, but I think to fill out your roster, um, you know, they they assume they had good depth this year, and and I I never really saw it that way. And, and obviously, right now we're looking at, you know, they're they're basically playing five or six guys. Their bench has one of the lowest point totals and shot totals in the entire country. So it's I have no problem at all shooting for the stars for a couple guys, but you have to cast a wider net. And you have to find guys that can play, guys that understand what it's like to, you know, be a Hoosier, to play in the Big Ten, and to be gritty, hard-nosed, um, to be able to go through the ups and downs and, and not just think about all the extra stuff that comes with it. My thought with, with Mike Woodson, I have several, but here's one, is to in order to have a lengthy coaching career at Indiana, he has to be able to develop talent, not just recruit talent, but develop it. My question for you, Tyler, is a, is a career NBA coach like Mike Woodson capable of being a guy that develops talent in Bloomington? So far in his tenure here, I feel like he has done it with uh, the bigs. I feel like a lot of the bigs have really you know, taken, um, taken leaps forward. Um, haven't seen it much with the guards. Now, I mean, you do have the success story with Jalen hood Shafino who you know, came in and, and all of a sudden becomes a lottery pick, and he played really well. Um, even with that, though, a concerning comment yesterday where the coaching staff said that 
You know, we, we didn't expect him to be a one and done. And that, that blew a lot of people's minds because he was a first round mock right from day one before he even stepped on the floor. So, you know, things like that are just a little concerning. But as far as the development side, you know, it's mostly from the guards. Um, we've seen kind of, you know, the, the same kind of production from some players and uh, a guy like, I would say, you know, Gabe Cups, who I know is a freshman and, He's kind of just been a facilitator. He's not really – he hasn't really played the way that he's capable of playing and the way he showed, you know, as a senior high school. I know it's a different level, but there are some concerns there from a, from a developmental standpoint. Um, and, again, I don't think the system really helps. The system is a little bit old school, and they've got to figure that out. You've got guys like Trent Sisley and some other guys who are closely watching how the system plays out and if they're going to be a fit, and if they don't see that it fits them, if it's not, you know, modern – they're not even going to come here at all and, and commit here. So I do have my concerns from the developmental side. Tyler Smith joining us to talk IU basketball. You mentioned the Jalen hood Shafino comment, just another in a long line of comments by Mike Woodson over the weeks that have, that has drawn the ire of the fan base uh, saying Malik renew was awful. Um, and the loss against Northwestern as well. Just another recent example it is there a, a factor of Woodson, turning off the fan base with what he's saying because it is passable to say these things in the NBA but not in college basketball? Is that something that Woodson knows that needs to be sort of an adjustment, or is that just who he is and that's not going to change? I wish I knew, but it does feel like you know he, he's been irritated for quite a while. Um, even when they were winning some games, he would get irritated with media questions. He answers almost every question by saying again, again, like as if he's, you know, repeating himself, you know, all the time, even if it's a different question. So that's another concern. There's been a lot of comments throughout the year that have, you know, not just for fans, but you know, the media are kind of like, is that, is that really how he feels about that? Or even the three point shooting when he said, you know, we, we, we take enough threes, we got to make more. And you're sitting there thinking, you know, they're 305th or whatever it was at the time in the nation in three-point attempts. Like, it's just not going to cut it. And especially in Indiana, they expect you to shoot and, you know, be a three-point team. But I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe he's setting his ways. Maybe he's still learning, you know, year three. But, um, you know, there's six games left in the, in the conference schedule. And I saw some fans comment that he's kind of, you know, talking as if it's the 82-game schedule. Like, plenty of time, guys. You know, let's just keep going when really we're talking late February here. And, and they have to win out, which he did acknowledge they need to win every game. But I don't know. It's uh, maybe maybe the little NBA is getting into it or, you know, he's up there in age or I'm not really sure. Tyler Smith joining us again. You can find his uh, column for Indiana basketball. It shouldn't be this hard at the Hoosier.com. Wanted to ask you, Tyler, too, about – and you mentioned stuff about going back to the Archie Miller era and, and Tom Crean era and, and kind of looking at this at large because it's not just a Mike Woodson type thing, at least in the last decade plus, of course, with Indiana basketball. How much has it been dictated, at least with Indiana, behind the scenes? Because we know how impactful and impressionable Quinn Buckner is and everything behind the scenes with the trustees and all that. How much of that has impacted what we see on the front end with Indiana basketball, positive and negative, over the last several years? Yeah, I think you know some of the some of the decisions. I feel like have had really good intentions and a and a good group of people 
um, you know, really trying to make the right decisions, what's best for the program. Um, but I, I also feel like something has to change, and I, I can't fully pinpoint what that is. If it was easy, you know, uh, you know, I say that that decision making is not easy. Um, but the, the whole column is about the fact that at Indiana University, you have so many things working for you that it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this difficult because of the things you have going for you. And, and fans, like most of the fans I talk to do not, you know, care about always oh, got to be, a, you know, in the Final Four every year. They just want a good team to watch. They just want competitive, never have to worry about if they're going to make the field of 68 teams or not. Um, and, you know, last year was a pretty successful year, but it's been a struggle for a long time. The end of Tom Crean's tenure, Archie Miller, Probably, you know, possibly would have made one tournament out of the four, but uh, the COVID year cut that off. It's just been many, many years, and, and I don't know what has to change, but something has to change. I don't know how much longer um, Mike Whitson will be here, but uh, whether he leaves on his own or is let go at some point, you know, they have to nail the next hire. But before that even, like, he's going to be here next year, so they got to figure out some ways. Um, I feel like the department and coaching staff has to work together and say, we – we are in desperate need of a good season next year. What is it going to take to put the right guys on the court and get this thing turned back around? Um, because it's just been, it's been disappointing for fans to have, you know, a couple good years here and there and just have so many, so many uh, mediocre or worse uh, seasons. How much is that frustration magnified by the fact that your biggest rival seemingly has one of the top programs year after year, at least in the last several years in the Purdue Boilermakers? Yeah, it definitely doesn't help, and, you know, that's part of the reason uh, last year was so good for IU is, you know, winning both those games, but now they're right back to, you know, getting trounced uh, by that team from West Lafayette, and that's just a, a incredibly well-run uh, program, and in Purdue, you know, even if they lose Edie and some others, like, they're probably going to stay good uh, next year and beyond. Like, they know what they're doing over there, and, and, and that doesn't help in the fact that, you know, there's at times there's other teams in the state that have either been as good or, or better. You know, you got Indiana State looking pretty good this year, chance to make the tournament. Um, so, so that's tough. And, and also, you know, this is, this is a season when the Big Ten Conference is supposedly down and Indiana's, you know, like 13th out of 14th in a lot of categories. So that, that just, you add all those factors together, it just boils over the frustration. Tyler Smith joining us. Before we let you go, what does it say about the state of IU as a program that they're likely entering a season next season with a lame duck head coach? Yeah, it's tough because you feel like they just went through this, you know, multiple times. Um, part of the whole idea of how it shouldn't be this difficult, I, I really, I, I still feel like this, and I've, I've said it for many, many years. Whenever this program gets that slam dunk higher, uh, from head coach, I feel like that's when they can really take off because of the resources, because of the iconic venue and the you know NIL top ten or fifteen in the nation. So many things working for them. Um, I don't want to be completely negative on on Mike Woodson. He's he's a legend. He's done amazing things the last couple of years. Next year is incredibly important. I should say the next couple months uh, to see how they build out that roster for next year. Incredibly important. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important for him and the program uh, to get a turnaround quickly. Or you know, it's very possible things get things get even uglier next season, and then it just like apathy really sets in, and, and then they have to start completely over. 
Tyler Smith, thehoosier.com, indiesportslegends.com, also writes for the Crawfordsville Journal Review. Thanks so much for joining us to discuss IU basketball with us this morning here on the show. No problem. Thanks a lot, guys. That's Tyler Smith with us. On the other side, a horse went on quite the joyride in Philly. As we wrap it up here, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here on a Wednesday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you. So uh, a horse got loose on a Philadelphia interstate on Tuesday morning. Horse is loose. Yeah. Horse and around. Uh, the horse running along I-95 in Philly just had a rush hour. This is around 6 a.m. Uh, in Philly Tuesday morning. Uh, someone's saying they have no idea how the horse got loose, talking with a, a TV reporter, but the horse was eventually captured, loaded onto a trailer uh, in the city's Port Richmond neighborhood. Uh, the man said somebody let him out before driving away. With the, oh, so with the somebody horse in purposely tow. let him I, out? I guess, yeah. <laughs> Unclear where the horse came from, but uh, they helped corner the, the animal at the bottom of one of the I-95 off-ramps. Uh, police did, and then, but again, not sure where it came from. Hmm. Um, but just a bizarre situation. There's several videos of the horse running uh, on the sh- shoulder. I, I guess kind of really the in between part, you know, where there's the concrete divider, like running yeah. on that shoulder. Just uh, well, because where sprinting. he was, yeah, where he was was like construction going on, so it wasn't like big shoulders or anything. So you had to make a. Uh, make sure you didn't didn't hit the poor guy. So uh, you know, just out for a stroll. But it's interesting if somebody just outright let him out. Like uh, your plan for the morning is, oh, I don't know, I'm just gonna drive up because he was he was he was running around at like before five in the morning. So was this person's plan to go at the deadest time overnight on the highway and just let this horse out? Clearly, because the horse was seen at 6 a.m. Yeah, so. apparently. He was first spotted at 4.45 a.m. So, And the the man who spoke to the TV station and, and took the horse away from the area uh, was wearing a sweatshirt, Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club. So, obviously, uh, they do some stuff with, with horses. I'm not, they're not at fault here, but it's just a uh, fascinating mix of the, the horse running. These, these photos, these videos... Are just unbelievable to see. Just like I saw, a, I saw a video of a guy riding his bike on an Atlanta interstate. Yeah, earlier this week. This is just as crazy or even crazier. <laughs> Pales in comparison. Yeah. The big big thing is it's shocking that nobody hit the horse. Yeah, which, that's the good news. Which would have the, the horse probably would have died, but beat it. people die hitting deer. Can you imagine hitting yeah. a horse going seventy on an no. interstate? Absolutely Ooh. not. Chaos. Chaos. Absolutely. That does it for us. Thanks to Tyler Smith for joining us for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6 right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.